Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. And that's kind of the theme coming up in today's Clark Rageous Moment. You wouldn't believe how many of your fellow Americans are earning absolutely nothing on their money sitting in banks. And later, non-complete peak clauses are something that I cannot stand, and they're growing and growing and growing and harm you and harm our economy. I'm going to address that. Right now, I want to talk about something that affected me so much, like so many of my fellow Americans. The terrorist attacks that hit New York and Washington back in September 01 were one of those life-defining moments for me. And I remember my producer Kim and I flew to New York. The first day flights went back in the air after September 11th, 01, and the World Trade Center was still on fire. We flew over uh, Brooklyn and Queens coming into LaGuardia Airport that day, which I think the first day you could fly again was September 14th, maybe. Somewhere right in there, we flew to New York. And there were 24 of us on our flight. Four were sky marshals. Nobody was in their seat, seat belted in. Everybody was looking out a window on the left side of the plane, looking at the fire still burning. And after we landed, I was there to do radio and TV. And after we landed, I went down that evening after we finished radio and I forget if we did TV that day or not. And then I was down there in the area and it was just the most upsetting thing to see soldiers with tanks all around lower Manhattan and the smell the stench was intense and seeing the destruction of a war zone in one of the most vibrant places on earth well I was just in New York again for TV this past week and I was working in Lower Manhattan, and the hotel I got on Priceline was adjacent to the World Trade Center. And you see majestically rising into the sky the Freedom Tower that now sits on that spot. And what was so fantastic for me as an American is to see that If you think about what Al-Qaeda's goal was, was to bring America to its knees and destroy the financial and political center of this great nation. And as I walked around lower Manhattan, I uh, I was doing stories on Wall Street, and you see the vibrance everywhere. And the crazy thing is, 17 years later, that lower Manhattan is more vital and more alive than it ever was even before the evil of that day. And if there was ever a sign of the fortitude of our nation, the resilience of our nation, our can-do spirit, seeing New York so 
alive and so dynamic as it is all over the city. In fact, if you go to the what they refer to as the outer boroughs, the vitality of Brooklyn now, that 17 years ago, Brooklyn was still a backwater, and it's so alive. And then there's this area called Long Island City in Queens, which was an uh, industrial kind of slum area, and now there are all these gleaming towers there, probably 30 high-rises there, and that area has become a hip kind of area. And you see what is so fantastic about our nation, and that is the spirit we have in a time as we approach the midterms, that we, in one respect, have lost our way in something that's so frustrating for me, and that's that those among us that are partisan, that are political, look at those they disagree with as their enemies and de- uh, dehumanize them and act like they're a lower form of life or that people of either perspective look at the other, left or right, look at the other as if they're not good Americans. I mean, this is nuts because we are all privileged as Americans to live in a land where we are able to disagree. And we need to remember the thing that Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, one a Republican, one a Democrat, so eloquently stated so many different ways, so many different times, the concept of disagreeing without being disagreeable. I saw with my own eyes in a visit I did to the Pentagon a few years ago to give a speech, and you may not know this, but I worked in the Pentagon as a civilian employee at the end of the Vietnam War. And then I was back to speak at an event at the Pentagon. And in between, of course, in all those years, there was the attack on the Pentagon as well on September 11th. And I saw there that the people mourned their losses, rebuilt, and the Pentagon is there as it was before to provide for our nation's defense and security. I mean, what what I want you to really reflect on is what a great country we have the privilege of being part of and how we as Americans and as a people showed that we would not be defeated by those who wish to rain evil upon us and death and destruction upon us. We lost thousands of our fellow Americans that day. What we found afterwards was our strength as a nation and our ability to move forward and succeed in spite of others who wanted to bring us nothing but failure. We showed in a time of adversity what we were made of. And that makes me so proud to be an American. Martin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Martin. Well, hello, Clark. How are you today? Great, thank you. Martin, have you been to New York in recent years? Not in recent years, no, sir. I was there when they were first constructing the towers back in the, I guess, late 60s, early 70s, whenever that was, on a family vacation. 
Well, if you went back, you would see a completely different New York. What's interesting, when you were in New York, New York was, as a city, was flat on its back. Crime was out of control. Nothing seemed to work. And today, New York is an amazingly, uh, for lack of a better term, user-friendly place. Things just seem to work there. Well, that's that's kind of dovetails into my question. Let's say I wanted to go to New York just to see that, but I didn't care when I went. And there's lots of other places I'd like to go here in Florida, for instance. I want to go see them. I've always wanted to see them, but I don't care when uh, when I go, but I want to go at the least expensive time. And I was searching the Internet. It is difficult to find, uh, if you don't care when you go, how do you find when is the cheapest time to go? So you've got different tracks here. So in a case of hotels, depending on the city, you can figure out that pattern really easily. It's like I had this question from someone who wanted to go to Las Vegas with his girlfriend, and I was talking through how you can go to these price calendars for the big casino hotels, and you can see week by week, month by month, when they're at their cheapest. Right. And you can do that same kind of thing with um, any city in America, not as easily as you can do it in Vegas. But, well, yeah. <laughs> but you can you can go to, let's say you go to TripAdvisor, and you put in a city you're interested in going to, and you put in um, whatever level of hotel you're interested in, three, four, five star, whatever it is right. that's your level, you put on you put it in, and then you can put in the dates and put in try different dates over the course of many months, and you'll see the prices move up and down like crazy. Oh, I know over many months, but I don't. If I don't care when over the next two or three months, I don't want to have to put in you know every date for the next ninety days. I now wait, if you're if you're going to be a traveler who's trying to save money, you've <laughs> got to bore yourself doing this stuff. So like with airfares, really, there's no way to just put in St. Augustine, Florida, you know, in a range of November, December, January, and it tells me when the cheapest. Go week write or the day software. Go write the software because I don't know anybody who's done that with airfare. It's really easy. Like if you yeah, go to airfare Google, is, but if, if you, you go to Google.com slash flights, you can put in a destination and it'll show you in a in a split second where you can see month after month after month the lowest prices going to yeah. a place. There's no equivalent with hotels. So you have to be Well that's a shame. You have to be more really methodical. Nice places, nice places to visit and I don't care when. I just you know, over the next six months, you know, if you got the vacation time that you choose when, which I would think most people get to choose when they go. Well, if they don't care when they go, let's go at the least expensive time. And no, Clark, some of us don't have time to go through week by week for for six months trying dates to see what's cheapest, especially if you, <laughs> you know, if you don't care when over the next year, let's say. Right. And, and that's another thing. European overseas travel, it'd be nice there because you, you, of course, know when the when the off-season is in all these places. Well, I have, I mean, I'm here in Pensacola. I know when the off-season is here, but I can't tell you, years ago, I didn't even know what the off-season was for the rest of the state of Florida, and it was different than here. (laughs) Well, what you could do is one strategy that might work if you sign up for the hotel specials at the, there aren't that many big hotel chains anymore. If you did it at Marriott's website, Hilton's website, and Hyatt's website, 
Yes, I've seen that. And they send you those. That would be a way that would be an alert. Ooh, prices are really low right now to blah, blah, blah. On the airfare, you yeah. mentioned patterns. So the cheapest time to travel uh, to Europe is November to March, except during Christmas. Right. But as far as the cheapest time to travel anywhere in the United States, it is the first two weeks of December right after the Thanksgiving holiday closes out, except for New York City. Everywhere else in the country, those are the cheapest two weeks of the year. So That's traveling, too, but I'm, I'm still looking at driving, you know, a couple of states away to a town somewhere, you know, just for a few days. And that's what is frustrating to find the cheapest time to go. And, and there is nobody doing that yet. Maybe someone listening will think, think, ooh, that's a new bargain thing to do is have the technology where you could shop hotels to find the cheapest season. Nobody's done anything like that for hotels like is done with airlines. And maybe there's a business there for someone. Maybe it's a business for you, Martin. In that spare time, you come up with the software code that would allow people to search the cycles for the cheapest time to stay in places. Because to my knowledge, that doesn't exist yet for where you put your head at night. Today's Clark Rageous moment is a Clark Rage on you and me. It's something that we've been doing as creatures of habit that are unnecessarily eating up our wallets. You gotta stop. Scams, rip-offs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. A new report from the FDIC finds that more than one in four dollars that we as Americans have deposited in banks are earning zero percent interest. You know how I've made fun of the four giant monster mega banks that account for roughly half of deposits in the United States. Those are Chase, Citibank, uh, Wells Fargo, and Bank of America that are paying nearly zero on savings. Well, it's worse even than I thought that in addition to that, there's more than one in four dollars people have on deposit in banks that's paying nothing. 0.00%. Now that is loco in a time that interest rates are rising and you without really even lifting a finger, much of one, can take what you're earning up to around 2%. And that 2% is only going to go up over time. Highest rates around about two and a quarter. You probably heard me over time and calls I'll get from people about putting money in online banks. All the action right now for any idle cash you have, and it's a good problem to have if you have idle cash, the action is all in online banks. Unless you are an ultra-high income earner, in which case you want to have your money in a tax-free municipal bond fund or tax-free municipal bond money market fund. But that's only for a sliver of us. For most of us, you want to have it in online banks. And you can go to better banking rates, you can go to bank rate, look around, see what's available, know that you can earn 
rates that are in excess of 2% on your savings without any real effort, and you don't even have to dump the giant monster mega bank or whoever you're with. You can keep your checking account there with only what you need to pay your bills and have everything else earning interest. Joel, I think we have time to sneak in and ask Clark. Yeah, Clark, Renee wrote in and said, this isn't really a question, but more of a thank you. A couple weeks ago while listening to the podcast, a call discussed that his 80-year-old aunt was still paying for AOL service. I mentioned this to my 80-year-old father who told me that he was paying for two AOL lines and had been paying for decades. I'm so thankful for Clark that you chose to discuss this problem on the podcast. Now he's saving over $600 a year. $600 a year. There's old subscriptions of all kinds. See what's being billed out there, what's lurking out there. Shut them off. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. I hate, hate, hate covenants not to compete. Restrictions on you and your ability to work somewhere drives me to distraction. One in five Americans today covered by covenants not to compete. And the fields that people are covered in now are beyond ridiculous. I don't know if you heard, there was a story that came out just in the last week. Cushman and Wakefield, the big property manager, requires its janitors that clean buildings to sign covenants not to compete. Burger King has clauses the workers don't sign, but are in the franchise agreements with franchises. Burger King says they're not there anymore, but according to reporters, they're still there, that one Burger King worker is banned from ever going to work at another Burger King. I mean, really. And this is one of the things holding down wages in the United States as corporations continue to report bigger and bigger profits When you're not allowed at Jimmy John's till there was a lot of publicity about it, you couldn't make sandwiches there and then go work anywhere else making sandwiches for years. And company after company is using these covenants not to compete for people in jobs that don't necessarily require a college degree, that you don't have trade secrets. There's nothing about what you do other than trying to hold you down and hold you back and it is absolutely one of the complete outrageous imbalances in our economy that companies do this and you know what one of the craziest things about these covenants is they hold back economic growth is that when you keep people from achieving the best they can achieve to have the latitude to move around and have new opportunities, it hurts our economy. You know, the states that don't have covenants not to compete tend to grow quicker than the states that do. And they lose some of the dynamics of their economy when they have these covenants. Here's what I have to say to you. In a really strong economy with millions of jobs going unfilled. If some employer comes to you and tries to strong arm you into signing a covenant not to compete, do not sign it. Do not sign it. You know, in in my world, 
with Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, there are things that that my digital people learn that are valuable to them in the marketplace and are potentially valuable to people who do similar things to what I do. But I don't have any covenant not to compete for my digital team, even though it's one of those examples where you could say, well, they're learning internal stuff, they're learning secrets, they're learning things that could be valuable elsewhere. I want people to succeed. And part of it is allowing people the opportunity to learn and that they want to be where they are instead of made prisoners compelled to remain where they are. One of the most egregious things, though, about so many covenants not to compete in the United States and so many of our companies and so many of our nation states is that even if a company lays you off or fires you, you're still prohibited from going to work somewhere else with the skills that you have. And that is so wrong. There is no gray to it. There is no question that that is out of line. Linda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Linda. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Linda. You have a son in high school. I do. Hard to How's believe, that going? Yes, I do. Um, good. You know, a lot of eye rolls. You know. You know the age. <laughs> so you're not as smart as you used to be somehow. Oh, no. I'm hoping that comes back at some point. <laughs> it does. In fact, one of the things that will amaze you is that uh, your child will tell you later that uh, you have become so much smarter than you used to be. Yes, I, I, I'm only hoping for those days. <laughs> it's coming, don't worry. <laughs> hey, I wanted to uh, start by thanking you about something. I uh, have been listening to you for a few years, and recently I opened an online bank account. And then I was afterwards, probably two weeks later, I was listening to it, and you were talking about a $1,000 incentive to do so by the same bank. So I called up immediately, and I, I am eligible by, like, the skin of my teeth by two days. So you just made me 1000 bucks. I would never have known if I hadn't listened to you. Wow. Okay, so that deal is now gone. So I don't even know if I should mention uh-uh. what that deal was since no one else can get the 1000 that you got, but I'm glad that you grabbed it when we had that out there. Yeah, I, I didn't notice it on, on their website, so that was awesome. Thank you. Sure. Well, I hope you can save me some other money. <laughs> let's see if I can help. So uh, my husband and I have been saving since um, my son was born. He's 15 now, so he's a freshman. So he's got four years to go. And two things are giving me a little angina. One is the market right now, you know, seeing as the time frame that we're now under. The second is that we live in New Hampshire, which is the second highest in-state college tuition in the country. Average college tuition here is thirty grand. So, well, you got to tell the other side of the story, though, for your fellow Americans, and that is that New Hampshire has overall lower taxes than most other states. So there is that trade-off. That is true. We don't have any income tax, but they all get you in one way or the other. I pay huge amounts in property tax, so it all it all washes out. I think in the end. (laughs) Okay. It's a great place to live, though. So I'm not complaining about my state. Okay. So we have, well, last week we had 135000 in the account. Today we have 128000 <laughs> Oh, because so, of the market decline. What, 
What are you invested in in the 529? Are you in the age-based portfolio or are you in something else? Yes. So we are in the age-based portfolio, and I looked in preparation of this call, and it's, you know, 50%, well, only 31% in stocks. Bonds are 51%. So they've already taken that into account, but I get nervous, considering I think we have most of the money we're going to need, hopefully. So I'm just wondering when cash preservation comes into play versus growth. Well, you're shallow breathing. I can hear it. (laughs) So you may be at that point. You know, I would I would encourage you to stay age-based because we don't know at what point the market does go through a serious decline. And since you're at a point that the movement in the market only has a 30% effect on the college money, I would encourage you to stay age-based, except I've heard you loud and clear. You've got the money you're going to need. So going into... Uh, a fund that just preserves the cash is fine for you to do, and then you'll just rest easy through his four years of college. That was kind of my, my Other question. Other than when okay. the so report cards come freshman year. <laughs> One problem at a time. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, if you, most people are not in the position that you're in, that you've already been able to save 100% of the cost of undergraduate school. And since you have done that, then forget the classic advice I would give of being in the age-based mix and just go into the the thing that will preserve the money and you won't have to worry the next four years. And so even going in bonds, I mean, that could potentially lose money too, right? Is yeah, bond, a- as interest rates rise on bonds, which they are, the value of bonds you hold go down. Now, you've got enough years that the higher interest rates should counteract likely some of the decline in the value of those bonds. But again, mm-hmm. you've already hit the goal line. You've already right. done it. Okay. You've already scored the touchdown. So if you want to just uh, take victory laps for four years, do it. And you'll earn okay. a little puny amount in the, in the preservation fund. You might earn a couple of percent a year, and that will help a little bit with the cost of inflation intuition over the next few years. So just take that victory lap. All right. I'm running as we speak. Thank All you. All right. Best to you. And besides, you got $1,000 on that savings bonus. Ted is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ted. Hey, Clark. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Ted. You are well, at a... the end of a line you've been trying to get to for a while. <laughs> Tell me how long this path of getting rid of debt has taken you. Uh, well, we started really seriously about three years ago, and um, we had three credit cards within our whole debt total, and we're, we're actually paid off two, and we are in the process of getting the third one paid off by November. Congratulations. And, That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of excited about that. It's been a, been a dark cloud over us for a few years, so. But I did have a question. Um, once we pay off the third and final credit card, should we keep one of those accounts active, all three of them active, or should we just cancel all three? You want to keep all three active. Uh-huh. And that's really key to your credit score. Your credit score has been rising probably all through this three-year paydown process as you're right. using less and less of your available credit. If you close accounts 
it will actually affect your credit score negatively because it will show less available credit in your credit scoring mix. So are you going to be tempted, though, to use them if the accounts stay open and you don't want to do that? Right. I don't think so unless like something major happens. Um, we really because you could more of a cash. You could cut them up, but leave right. the accounts open so you'd right. be prevented from using the cards, and you would have the benefit of having the cards active. It'll be a a decent while before any of the three credit card operators decide you've been inactive too long and they're going to involuntarily close your account. Okay. So you can let those run for a while. The ideal thing would be twice a year to use each of the cards for one small transaction, and that would keep them totally active, and you wouldn't have to worry about an issuer trying to get rid of you. Okay. But That's congratulations to you on the discipline, living on less than what you make, so you could pay off this debt that was just, it sounds like it was a burden in your life. It was, and our uh, target date is the spring of 2021. We'll be totally debt-free. Congratulations on that as well. <laughs> it feels fantastic, owing nobody on earth anything. Kenny's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kenny. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking that call. Sure, Kenny. You have a question for me about tapping into your 401k, and you're going to have to really work hard to convince me you should do it. Yeah, I didn't necessarily think it was a great idea, but I'm getting ready to buy a house, and I have about almost 15% saved for a down payment. So some of my friends were saying, you know, beg, borrow, and steal to get to 20%, so you don't have to deal with mortgage insurance. And I'm trying to gauge, does it hurt or help me more to do a 401k loan to get to that 20%? Well, first things first, you don't necessarily have to come up with that 5% anymore. You can Uh do uh, a loan where you put uh, 15% down and you're able to get to the 20 by doing a very small second mortgage. And that would negate you having to borrow from the 401k. And these are known as 80-15-5s, where you borrow um, 80% on the first mortgage, and then you put, uh, actually I should have said 85-15s. So you do 80% on the first mortgage, 5% on what would be a relatively small, very low risk for the lender second mortgage, and you put the 15% down and you avoid the private mortgage insurance. I see. So and, that's probably better long-term than losing out on the, the gains I'd be making in 401k. That's the idea. The other thing, though, is that when people take money as a loan against a 401k, the math shows that by the time you retire, you end up with quite a bit less money saved for retirement by having that money not active plus having to payback alone, a lot of times people will reduce their 401k contributions while they're paying back a loan, or the employer will require that. So doing an 80% first mortgage, a 5% second, rewards you for having saved such a substantial amount of money towards down payment, and you just close that little gap 
with that 5% second. Now, that 5% second will usually have a floating rate, and mm-hmm. so it'll be a priority for you every time you have an extra dollar to throw it towards that loan that represents 5% of the purchase price. Yeah. Great. Well, I think that would be a good option instead of having to... In my mind, it didn't seem like a good idea, but I thought, well, maybe the savings from not paying the mortgage insurance might make it worthwhile, but I didn't I've yeah, been okay. not to ever take loans off of my... And, and I hate uh, the idea of taking a loan against the 401k. If you had no other options to close that 5% gap, I would reluctantly say, yeah, you could do the borrowing against the 401k because that would be superior to having to pay PMI. But since it should be pretty easy for you with 15% saved to be able to borrow that 5% in a second, that would be the better course of action. And congratulations to you for being such a diligent saver. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel asks it. Clark, Pat wrote in. He says, do you have any recommendations for home security systems? So the home security system business has changed radically in the last two years. And now most systems people are putting in their homes are self-install systems that now have such high quality and such sophistication to them that as an industry, the industry in the future is really going to be about monitoring systems more than it is about selling hardware, renting hardware, or installing equipment. Because now uh, you've got so many major players in electronics offering home security systems. Even in the warehouse clubs now, you'll see home security systems being sold. One of the ones being pushed most heavily is the one by Ring, which I think, is that owned by Amazon? I'm trying to remember if Ring's owned by Amazon. But anyway, there's... So many of these available now. I like the UMA, if you have UMA phone service in your home. And I, as I read the technology reviews of these systems, none of them are 100% perfect, but they all get very, very good reviews. So it's really the system that works best for you. The cost of the equipment's very cheap. The cost of monitoring is very inexpensive as well with these home installs, self-installs. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.